Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. church. Welcome to ACF. Thanks for being here today. I know, yeah, yeah, we can celebrate being here today. You guys made it. I know, I know the roads are sketch and COVID is running rampant. You guys made a church today. We are grateful for you. We're proud of you. Just want to say hello to everybody online as well. Thanks for joining us there. Uh, my name is Mason Vinaus. I'm the worship director here at ACF. I'm just going to share with you guys a bit this morning. Before we get into it though, I want to talk about next week. Next week we have something awesome happening. It is Compassion Week. We're looking to sponsor 300 kids in Cusco, Peru. So very excited about this opportunity. We did this a few years ago for a country in Africa, uh, Burkina Faso. We, we sponsored a, a bunch of kids in a village there, and it was a really amazing moment for our church. That was right around the, the big earthquake of 2018, if you remember that moment, if you were around. And so um, it was just a big, uh, it was a step for our church. We look back on it as a kind of a landmark moment of like, man, ACF stepped into its identity on that Sunday, on Compassion Week. So we're doing that again next week, looking to sponsor 300 kids. Be praying about um, what God's calling you to do and how you can partner with us in sponsorship. So we're excited about next week. Definitely come back for that. Don't miss that. Uh, But in this series, Search History, we're talking about some of the core doctrines, the core beliefs of Christian faith, right? These are the things people are wondering about, people have questions about. If you're a new believer in the room, these are some of the things you're wondering about. Like, what am I getting myself into in this Christianity thing? Like, what am I, what am I buying into here? If you're an older believer in the room, you've been in the church for a while, like, these are the things that your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends have questions about what you believe. If you're not a Christian today, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. We're, we're stoked that you're with us. And maybe these are the things that have kept you from faith. These are the questions that you wrestle with and just can't get over. And so we want to explain what we believe and why we believe it, and hopefully you can find that persuasive. So in search history so far, um, we've talked about the doctrine of incarnation. Uh, Brian spoke on this about two weeks ago, this, this big idea that God has taken on human flesh in, in, in Jesus Christ in history, all right? And people have questions about Jesus, one of the most controversial figures in history, right? And then last week, Josh talked to us about the doctrine of revelation, Again, another big idea that God has spoken to humanity, and he speaks to humanity currently through his word, through nature, and through our conscience. Again, so another, another big idea, and people got questions about the Bible, right? I have questions about the Bible. So uh, I think our doctrine for today is something else we wonder about, something that your neighbors and you might have a lot of questions about. It's this. It is the doctrine of creation. And simply put, it is that God, who alone is uncreated and eternal, has formed and given existence to everything outside of himself. All right, that is the doctrine of creation in a nutshell. So to kind of get into this topic, I want to share a bit of my personal story around 
uh, around this topic, around the topic of creation. So I was born in a Christian family. I was actually, I was baptized as an infant in a Catholic church, which met in this building. I don't know if you know that, but this used to be St. Andrew's Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, so I think I was infant baptized somewhere like there is where they did it, was the infant baptism. So infant baptized, 20 years later, I would be rebaptized um, again in this building. I think it was downstairs this time. So ACF had moved into the building. Um, Catholic Church had moved across the street. They built that new building over there. So yeah, 20 years, 20 years later, I would be rebaptized. I, I bring that up just side note because we are celebrating baptisms today. So um, yeah, excited about that. If you are a Christ follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus, um, we believe this is a step for you to take. We see in scripture that people say yes to Jesus, next thing, they get baptized, all right? So anytime during the sermon, you can head out to the lobby. There's a banner there, and there's some volunteers that, uh, that want to help you get checked in, help you get baptized today. So feel free to do that anytime during the sermon. I won't be offended, okay? All right, but back, back to my story. So um, yes, raised in the Christian church. We left the Catholic church when I was about nine years old, okay? And kind of adopted more of a Protestant evangelical faith, kind of what we, we have here at ACF. And this whole time, too, I was, I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled all the way growing up, all the way through high school. And in that kind of milieu, that kind of evangelical homeschooled milieu, what I learned, this is what I learned about creation. I learned, well, I picked up something, uh, I picked up this impression that science and Christianity were at war on this topic, right? Science and Christianity are at war, like we're under assault from modern science. We've got to defend ourselves against them. That's, that's the impression I got. And so words like, you know, terms like the Big Bang, evolution, this stuff, these were like, dirty words, okay? We don't go there. These are like the works of the devil. Even Jurassic Park was like kind of edgy, all right? All right? So that's, that's the milieu. I'm sorry, Jed. I know that's, that's hurtful to you, but that's, that's reality of what I grew up with. And so I was, taught, I was taught a very, very literal, very straightforward interpretation of Genesis. And, and maybe this is what you were taught as well, okay? That, you know, God created everything in that creation week, and that was seven literal 24-hour days, all right? And then if you do the math on the genealogies in the Old Testament, it comes out to about 6,000 years ago is when God made everything, all right? That's the picture I got, and that's what I believed. I bought into that growing up all the way through high school, and that was all fine and dandy. Um, then I graduate high school, and I start to get out, out in the world, out of that homeschool bubble a little bit, and I start to experience some real cognitive dissonance, some real conflict on this question, because I'm meeting real people, real flesh and blood people that disagree with me, all right? Friends, uh, teachers at college, um, you know, saying things like, well, of course, the universe is billions of years old, right? And, of course, humans, we, we evolved from monkeys. Science has shown that. You know, um, I'm, I'm hearing all these things. Actually, I remember once in anthropology class, the first day of class, professor just called us out. She says, hey, who here believes that the earth is billions of years old? And, and most of the class raises their hand. Follow-up question, well, who here believes that the earth is a few thousand years old? And I sheepishly kind of raise my hand and... And there's a few others with me, but we're, we're the minority. We are definitely the minority. And that was a hard moment. That was a tough moment because I realized I'm just out of sync with society or at least the rest of this classroom on this question. And that, that led to some questions and some doubts of like, am I the crazy person here? Like, am I deluded? Am I like the flat earther in the room? Like, like what's going on? And what does this mean about the Bible? Is this, is this a bunch of fairy tales? Have I been taught incorrectly? Um, what's that mean about Jesus? Is Jesus who he said? He was. Is there a God at all? Like, he's, I started to go down that, that downward spiral a little bit. And um, maybe you can resonate with my story there, right? Maybe it wasn't about creation, but other issues around faith, right? You were given a set of beliefs. At some point, 
those beliefs came into question. They came into serious conflict, and your faith started to unravel. Lately, people have been calling this process deconstruction. Deconstruction, I think it's a good kind of label to put on this process. It's helpful. And so, um, first of all, I just want to talk to the person who's in the midst of that. You're deconstructing currently. Like, uh, I get that. I get how painful that is. It's very weird. It's very disorienting. You just don't know where to set your feet. Everything's up in the air, uncertain. So I get how painful that is. Um, I want to encourage that person, though, too, is that there is light on the other side of deconstruction. You, you can push through that, keep having those conversations, keep asking the hard questions, and you can begin to reconstruct your faith. Like, reconstruction happens in, in, in our spirituality. So I just want to talk about that and kind of share my story a little bit, and hopefully this can be a model for how to walk through this. Even if creation isn't your problem, you've got different problems around faith, um, hopefully this, this story of how I moved from deconstruction to reconstruction can kind of help you process your own struggle. So how did I begin to reconstruct? Well, I feel like, ironically, I had to fully embrace deconstruction, right? Because I had doubts kind of simmering for a long time. I just wasn't, wasn't really dealing with them, but I, I just, I was like, I hope the Bible's true, but I'm not really sure. And it was just kind of sitting there for a long time. At some point, I just got sick of it and said, hey, I'm just going to look at it, stare all my doubts in the face, and whatever's not true, I'm going to get rid of it. Whatever it is, getting rid of it. And whatever, wherever the chips may fall, whatever that means, I'm just going to embrace what's true and get rid of the rest, Okay. And as Christians, honestly, we should never be afraid of this because all truth is God's truth, right? All truth is God's truth. If God is real, this is his reality, and he knows it perfectly. There's nothing we're going to discover he's going to be surprised by, like, oh, crap, dinosaur bones. You know, like, he's not, like, this, this is not something that's going to happen. He's not hiding anything from us, okay? He's not hiding anything from us. We should never be afraid to go out and look for truth, all right? So... Um, so I'm, I'm kind of going through this process. I'm tearing everything down, trying to find, like, what is one thing literally anybody could agree to on, on this topic? Like, what's one thing that's just anybody in the world could agree to? And I think I found it. And just confession, I got a philosophy degree in college, so I'm going to kind of put my philosopher's hat on for a second. Just trust I'm going somewhere useful, okay? We're going to get a little philosophical, a little theological, and then a little scientific today. So I hope you're ready to think. Maybe get another cup of coffee if you need. So... So I'm trying to find this thing, like, what is one thing we could just, we could all agree to? And I think I found it. I think I found a philosophical principle literally anybody should agree to. It's this. Something exists. Mind-blowing stuff, right? If you go to college and get a degree in philosophy, you can learn such wisdom, right? But it's a good starting point, right? I think everybody can agree to this. I don't care if you're atheist, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, like, this is true. Something exists. We might disagree radically on what exists, Right? We might disagree about, you know, souls, and what about heaven and hell? What about Bigfoot? Like, this is the real question. Is Bigfoot real? So we might disagree about what exists, but I think we can all agree that something's out there. We're all currently experiencing something, okay? All right, so starting point achieved. Something exists. Then I kind of found another philosophical principle, um, and we're going to get a little fancy with some Latin. It goes like this. Ex nihilo nihil fit. And that means from nothing, nothing comes. Again, not too surprising, not too shocking. This is a common sense assumption of any rational person. You can't make sense of the world if um, you don't assume this, right? If I see someone in the front row here, I, I assume there's a cause for how they got here. There's a reason for how they got here. They drove here, they hitchhiked, something, okay? I don't assume they appeared out of nothing, uncaused, in our front row. That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. We can't get anywhere 
in the world if we don't assume this belief, okay? So I think we're all, we're all on the same page here. From nothing, nothing comes, right? We should all agree to this. So we take those two things together. If something exists and from nothing, nothing comes, what do you get? I think you get this. Something has always existed. Something has always existed. All right, okay, now we're getting somewhere a little interesting, okay? We're making some progress, right? You see the logic? If, if something exists, well, there's a cause for that something because from nothing, nothing comes, okay? So if there's a something, there's a cause for that something, well, I guess we can go back to this infinite series of causes, just things causing things forever back in the past, or, or maybe you get to like a first cause. There's a, a cause that's just there eternally. It's just there because it's there. In either one of those scenarios, there's, there's never just been nothing, okay? In the history of ever, there's never just been nothing. There has always been something. I think everybody should agree to this. Again, I, I think we're all on the same page here. Christians, atheists, whoever, we're all on the same page here. This is where we start to diverge, right? Because we have to ask ourselves, what is this eternal something? What's the eternal something that has always existed? And so really there's, there's two main schools of thought. And how you answer this question uh, is really, really, uh, it's a fundamental divide between human beings, I think, all right? So school of thought one, or option one is this. This universe has always existed. This universe is all that is. Um, Carl Sagan defines it well. He said this way, the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. You could say cosmos or nature, right? So this view is like called naturalism or materialism. If you're an atheist, you, you have to buy into this, okay? This is your view, all right? What's our other option? Option two is this. Something beyond this universe has always existed, all right? So any sort of religion, any sort of theistic religion, believes in this. They believe in a transcendent cause. There's some sort of God or gods, maybe. They exist eternally, and they created our finite universe, right? So I just want to make it super clear, like, these are kind of your only two options. You have to buy into one of those camps, all right? There's no getting out of this. There's something eternal, and you have to decide what that thing is. So hopefully as a church, it's pretty obvious where we stand, all right? We're with option two. We believe in a transcendent creator, a God who's eternal, outside of our reality, but he created us in our reality, okay? And we see this affirmed right in the very first verse of the Bible. It says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So notice what it's doing. It's negating option one, that, that view, that naturalism view, right? It's saying, no, the, the universe isn't eternal. This heavens and this earth, it had a beginning, okay? So it's, making, it's negating that option right from the get-go. And it's, it, by implication, it's saying that, so God is this eternal something that created our finite reality, right? So that's right from the get-go. Uh, the Bible is establishing that. And we see that over and over again throughout Scripture. Uh, a really important moment where this comes to light is um, Exodus 3.14. And this is where God is talking to Moses in the burning bush. He says this, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is like a, a huge moment of God's self-revelation to Israel and to humanity. And there's a lot going on in that statement, I am who I am. But at least part of what he's saying there, at least this is what Bible commentators agree, at least part of what he's talking about is God is claiming to be self-existent. He's claiming to be uncreated in this statement. He's saying, I am because I am, and you're not going to find another cause outside of me for my existence. And so the, your, your 10 cent theological word for this is aseity. Aseity is the quality or state of being self-derived or self-originated. You could say self-caused or self-created too. So God is saying uh, he simply is because he is, and that's that. All right, there's no other further explanation. He is the stopping point, okay, for all explanation. 
Now, this may seem like a crazy statement to you, right? Like, this is the classic kid question, like, who made God, right? How, it's impossible for us to imagine, I think, something eternal, something that just is there because it's there, uncreated. We can't really get our minds around it. And so I get this is a little, little hard to swallow sometimes, but I think you're stuck with this problem no matter what you believe, okay? If, if God isn't the I am who I am, if you reject God, then you have to believe nature is this I am that I am. Like, if God didn't create nature, then I guess nature created itself, and it's there because it's there because it's there. Like, I can't really grasp that either. Like, I can't fully imagine that or conceive that. So I don't think either side has a real advantage when it comes to, to this aspect, okay? And incidentally, Jesus claims to be the I am in the book of John. Jesus says this in John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. All right, so... Abraham is the father of the Jews. He's, he was born, you know, a thousand, thousands of years before Jesus was born. And so he's clearly claiming some sort of immortality in that statement. And then you take that with the way he ends it by saying, I am. Again, most biblical commentators, they agree that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm that same being that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. I'm that I am who I am. I'm the same God that talked to Moses. All right. So this is really like at a bedrock basic level what a Christian needs to believe about creation, all right? And this is what we as a church affirm. We affirm that an eternal, uncreated God created this finite universe and that this God has been revealed in Jesus Christ, all right? It's like a bedrock, basic level, what Christians believe on this. So that's kind of like the philosophical setup, right, of like, well, we have to believe in something eternal. Here's a theological answer, okay? God is that eternal something. He claims to be that in the Bible, but if you're in that point of deconstruction and you're not sure how much you trust the Bible, kind of, kind of where I was, um, maybe just looking at more Bible passages isn't going to like lock this in for you, all right? If I'm doubting the Bible, quoting more Bible verses doesn't help usually. So kind of my search, I was like, man, is there, is there any outside confirmation of this, of what the Bible is teaching? That would be, be kind of nice. And so what I was looking for, and what's really cool is as I searched for it, I, I found some really awesome evidence of a creator, found some really good evidence. I want to share a few of these, these pieces, these arguments to you. So the first one is this. Remember that scary old word, the scary old term, Big Bang? Well, it turns out the Big Bang is a big win for creation. I really believe that. The Big Bang is a big win for creation. This is a big misconception, I think, in the church and outside of the church. All right, like I kind of shared, like in the, myself growing up in the church, I got this impression the Big Bang is like the atheist thing. We don't, we don't go there. We don't talk about that. And I heard the same thing from Christians outside the, or sorry, people outside the faith, non-Christians. They would say things like, I don't need to believe in a creator. The Big Bang explains everything. It really doesn't if you look at it and you look at the history around this question. So to kind of set this up for you, um, the, the Big Bang theory gets put forth in 1931 for the first time, all right? Up until that time, kind of 19th century science, this is what they assumed about the universe. They thought the universe basically looks like it, like it does now. It has always looked like that. Again, it's kind of that eternal universe idea. The cosmos is all that was or is or ever will be. Like, what you see now is kind of what you get all the way back in the past forever. That's what they kind of assumed. And so then this guy puts forward um, the theory of the Big Bang in 1931. He's actually a Catholic priest, surprisingly enough. And he's saying, hey, I'm looking at Einstein's equations. And if he's right, what it means is everything is moving further and further apart. The universe is expanding. Well, what does that mean? If you rewind the clock, everything's come, everything comes back together to one point in space and time. That implies a beginning. It implies a real creation moment. And this was kind of frustrating. This is not what they were expecting to find out. This was genuinely shocking. 
And so there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of debate, but to this day, this is the consensus, all right? Mainstream science agrees, yes, the universe started, it had a beginning moment at the Big Bang, all right? So I think this is some pretty impressive corroborating evidence of what uh, the Bible has always said, right? Like Genesis said, in the beginning, it called it. It's like, it's like the Bible predicted what science would discover thousands of years later. Um, Robert Jastrow kind of described it this way as a scientist. He said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> I love that quote. Now, that was kind of how it felt. If you were a scientist who wasn't super friendly to Christianity, like this is genuinely frustrating. This is not what you were expecting to find out, okay? Another cool piece of evidence is called the fine-tuning of the universe, all right? Fine-tuning, or the fine-tuning argument, you might see it referred to this way. And this, honestly, this gets real technical real quick. It's kind of beyond my limited understanding, but I just want to relay the gist of it. This is what the smart people are saying, okay? This is what the smart people are saying about the fine-tuning of the universe. Uh, so basically, it's, it's like this. Scientists have discovered a number of constants, okay? These are just numbers. These constants in the laws of physics that if you had shifted them just infinitesimally, we would not have a universe hospitable for life, okay? So I'll give you an example. There's something called the cosmological constant, all right? And that controls that expansion rate of the universe we were talking about. Um, and that has to be accurate to one part in 10 to the 120th power. I know, it's math and church. It's a little early. It's okay. It's okay. Um, that just means that this number has to be accurate out to the 120th decimal point, all right? And that looks something like this. I counted those out, 120 zeros, okay? So saying that number has to be exactly right to that last zero, all, all the way out to that place. If you shifted it up just like, just a fraction, just out there, the 120th decimal place, you shift it up just a little bit, the universe flies apart. Everything just expands too fast, and nothing can come together and interact. You don't get any chemistry. Nothing interesting happens. It's a very boring universe. If you shift that number down just a little bit, the, the universe would have just expanded and collapsed instantly. Like, your universe is over in a, in a second. Very boring universe. You definitely don't get us here talking, okay, intelligent life, having a conversation. And as far as we can tell, like, there's nothing necessary about these numbers. You can plug in any old number. The equation works, but it just has radical impact on our universe, okay? And so scientists, they discovered about, like, 30 of these different numbers, as far as I, I could research, okay? 30 of these numbers. And I get it's all a bit abstract, so the best way I've, I've, I've seen to imagine this is imagine yourself, you have, you've, got a, you've got a universe generator, okay? It's this engine, and you crank this bad boy up, and it spits out a universe for you, okay? So on this engine, imagine you've got 30 dials. Those are, like, those 30 constants, okay? Every one of those dials has to be about that perfect, right all the way out to the hundredth whatever decimal place, okay? If you just bump one of those dials, your universe doesn't work. You might not, you, you probably won't get life. You might not get chemistry. You might not get, like, anything, okay? And so the odds here are insane. Even just one of these is pretty impressive odds. If you take 30 of those different numbers, it's stupid. It's silly odds. And so this cries out for an explanation. Like, how is this the case? Well, if you believe in a creator that you have a ready-made explanation. Well, of course God can do that. He can set up all the parameters and design it just right. He knows what he wants, so he sets up the universe to get his, uh, to get his result. Like, that, this isn't a problem if you believe in a creator. If you don't believe in a creator, you're trying to explain this without uh, some sort of cause outside the universe. Like, you've got real problems. Again, the odds are silly. And so 
This is a live debate among scientists. It's a question they're dealing with, but this is the consensus. It's like, yeah, our universe is fine-tuned for life, and they're trying to find ways to explain this. Um, A quote from Fred Hoyle, uh, who's an astrophysicist, he said this, A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics, as well as chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. I love that. It's one way to think about God, right? A super-intellect monkeying with physics. You've probably heard of Stephen Hawking, right? Famous physicist, cosmologist. He said this about this problem. He said, The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. The Bible says it this way, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The creation itself, it bears witness to the expert craftsmanship, artistry, and engineering skill of its creator. And, and most of us, we have like an aesthetic or, or intuitive ex, uh, experience of this. We have some intuition about this, right? Josh kind of talked about this last week, that God speaks to us through nature. We all have those moments of looking at a sunset or you see a newborn baby and it's just, this is just too beautiful. There has to be a designer. This is just all too beautiful. There has to be some purpose behind this. What's cool is if you look into the hard science around this, that intuition gets borne out. Like there is real design and beauty and intention in the very structure of our universe, in the very math that's running everything. There's real evidence of design. So both of those were like really helpful in my reconstruction process, kind of finding those things. I'm like, I feel pretty, pretty justified in believing in a creator, okay? I feel pretty good about that now. So kind of rebuilding my faith to some extent. And really what I learned is this, is that science and Christianity are not at war. Despite reports to the contrary, uh, they're not at war. Um, A a book I read kind of in this time said it this way. There is superficial conflict, but deep concord between science and theistic religion, but superficial concord and deep conflict between science and naturalism. What he's saying there is like, yes, we've got some like, we've got some conflicts. We've got some points of tension between science and Christianity, but these are... These are superficial problems. They're actually shallow problems. At the deeper levels, there's lots of concord and mutual support and agreement. And we've kind of talked about this in this series already a little bit. Uh, Brian touched on this a few weeks ago, this idea that laws imply a lawgiver, right? He asked these questions like, why does your heart just keep on beating? It always does it. We, we never think about it. Um, well, there's laws of biochemistry that, that regulate that. Why is it when you throw a baseball, it always comes back to the ground? There's a law of gravity, it's worth asking yourself, where those laws come from? Like, why are they there? It doesn't have to be that way. We take that for granted that, of course, universes have regular orderly laws. It doesn't have to be that way. It could just be chaotic and random, completely unpredictable. But it's not. We find ourselves in a very orderly, regular universe. It's something, something to think about, somewhere, somewhere that science and Christianity are really in agreement on that idea. Also, we have this idea that our minds have the ability to understand nature's laws. This is another kind of crazy thing that we take for granted, is that we can investigate nature. We can run our experiments and our tests, and we can discover things. Um, again, like, why is that the case? Why is it that our minds can, like, understand reality? It doesn't have to be that way. Like, why would the blind forces of nature create an animal that can understand nature to the depth that we can? We can find these, like, beautiful mathematical laws that are under everything. It's a weird thing. Again, we take for granted that we can understand nature the way that we do. And, you, and um, actually, if you look at, again at the history around this, this is why science developed from a Judeo-Christian worldview is because they assumed a creator. All right? They assumed there was a rational, orderly mind behind the universe, 
And so there's regular orderly laws we can go out and discover. And furthermore, because we're created in his image, you know, we have a mind something like him, we can go out and investigate and we can think God's thoughts after him, all right? That was the assumption of the early scientists, and that's how we get science, is that belief. So, so I learned, really, that there's this deep concord between science and a Christian worldview, but there are those surface conflicts, right? There are those points of tension, and I want to talk about those because they really trip me up, and I know they trip a lot of other people up. I, I just want to say before we get into this, this section here is everything we talked about so far is kind of a national border issue. Like, if you're going to be in the Christian faith, you need to believe in a creator and a creation, a finite creation. This is, you know, if you go beyond that, you're, you're kind of, you're in a different country anymore. We're not talking about Christianity anymore. Everything past this point is more of a state border issue. Like intelligent, Bible-believing, faithful Christians have some disagreements. And us on staff here, we, if you ask us some of these questions, we're going to give you different perspectives and different answers, okay? So this is something we can discuss uh, amongst Christians, all right? So the two biggest conflicts I can see, and I've kind of alluded to them already, between science and the Bible are these. How old is the earth anyway, and what about evolution? What do we do about this? So the conflict is basically this. Uh, Science says this. The current scientific consensus is that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old, and then life developed naturally from a common ancestor about 3.7 billion years ago. What's the Bible say? Well, I'd say the traditional interpretation of the Bible, traditional interpretation of Genesis Genesis specifically, puts the earth at about 6,000 years old, created during that creation week in 24 literal days, 24-hour literal days, and that God created each kind of plant and animal through a supernatural act of creation, all right? So that's a conflict, right? Those two pictures do not look at all the same. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this conflict? First off, I want to say this. I think these actually are the easy problems, all right? I do think these are the superficial problems. Compared to some of the problems we talked about, like how do you explain a beginning without a creator? Like, how do you explain that moment of creation? How do you explain the fine-tuning, this huge problem? If you don't have a God behind those, those dials, like, how the heck did that happen, right? So I think these are, in fact, the easy problems. I think you have some harder problems if you're trying to square science and naturalism together, okay? But there are some problems. So I think we have some options as Christians to, to think through these things. Option one is this. You can reject the mainstream scientific consensus. You can look at the evidence and say, eh, not buying it. Like, this is your right as, as a Christian and just as a human being. Like, you have the right to make up your own mind. So you can look at the evidence and say, like, ah, there's something wrong with their experiments. There's something wrong with their methodology. Maybe they haven't discovered something yet, right? Because we know there are things called scientific revolutions where they discover something that they hadn't understood before, and it changes everything. They have to reframe everything they thought they understood. So you, as a Christian, could say, like, hey, look, science and the Bible aren't lining up right now, but I'm going to trust the Bible, and I'm just going to wait for science to come back around, okay? I'm just going to wait it out. That's an option available to you. I want to speak to the person that can't take that step, all right? You've looked at that evidence and the arguments, and it just it seems really solid to you. It seems pretty solid. And maybe at that point of, like, I don't know how much I trust the Bible right now. I kind of trust science more than the Bible. I, want to, I think there is an option available to you, and it's this. You can go back and take another look at the text. You go back and take another look at Genesis. And so this school of thought, which is practiced by Christians, is they go back and they look at Genesis, and they're asking themselves, hey, what kind of literature is this? Like, what kind of text is this? Is this like a literal, historical, even scientific account? Or is it something different? Is it more of like a, here's a broad brush picture of what God did in creation? Because, I mean, let's face it, we're never going to understand what God did in creation. This is 
This is a supernatural event, I think, beyond human understanding. Like, and so maybe God, understanding that, said, hey, look, your science is never going to get there. You never understand what I did at creation. So let me give you a story. Let me give you a, like a literary framework for understanding what I did at the moment of creation. The point is, I'm the creator and you're the creation, okay? That's the point. I want you to get that, all right? So I get it. This is controversial, all right? And this brings up a host of theological issues and issues of biblical interpretation. We can't get into all that. I just want to say that there's a lot of really smart and respected Christians, people you know, people with names like C.S. Lewis and, and St. Augustine, they, they entertained or endorsed views kind of in this line, kind of option two here. And so what I want to do is I want to point you towards some resources and let you go make up your own mind, all right? Um, this is something you can go and make up your own mind. We can have good conversation and dialogue on this question, all right? So, so some places you could look to, um, one is Answers in Genesis, all right? This is kind of option one here. Of they reject mainstream science on these questions, all right? They say, not buying it. Here's some critiques of evolution. Here's some critiques of old earth, old universe stuff. If you're interested in that perspective, you can check them out. Option two here is kind of represented by, by BioLogos, all right? This is a Christian organization. They accept the mainstream science on all these questions, and they're trying to harmonize that with the Bible, and they're looking at different, different interpretive options for how to understand this, right? So, so my heart in all this, guys, is do not let this keep you from Jesus. If you're tripped up on, on, on evolution and, and those chapters in Genesis, like, there are good, intelligent Christians, Bible-believing Christians that are, that are working through these things. And there's a good discussion. There's a good debate happening. And you can go be a part of that. You can go look into that. There are real solutions on offer, okay? So don't let this trip you up and keep you from Jesus, all right? It doesn't need to be a stumbling block. And so you might be saying at this point, okay, look, like, this has been very informative. Mason's all very interesting. But, like, who cares? Like, I got to work tomorrow. It's Monday, right? Who cares what happened? Who cares what happened a few thousand years ago or a few billion years ago? Like, what impact does this have on my life tomorrow, today? I think how you answer this question is the most important answer you're going to give in your life, whether you believe in a creator or not. It's, it's a fundamental question you have to face as a human being, and it has huge impact on your life. Um, the fact is, if there's not a creator, then you have to accept that your life is, in fact, pointless, accidental, and futile. I know it's harsh, but that's really what's writing on this question, uh, Brian kind of alluded to this quote from Richard Dawkins. I'm going to share it. It's like the most depressing paragraph I've ever read in my life. But, but he is right. He is right. If there's not a creator, this is true. He says this. In the universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I don't think Richard's very fun at parties. <laughs> like, what a buzzkill, man. What a buzzkill. But, like, he's right. Like, he's absolutely right. If, if there's not a creator, this is what your life's like. And this is what reality is like. It's harsh, but he is correct. And frankly, I don't, I don't know why you should go to work tomorrow. <laughs> I really don't. If there's no meaning, there's no good, no evil, nothing but indifference, I'd do whatever you want, I guess. It doesn't matter. If there is a creator, though, it means your existence isn't pointless, accidental, or futile. You can agree with King David when he says this in the Psalms. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, having a belief in a creator means you can face tomorrow with confidence that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You're not an accident because nobody is an accident. No life is an accident. The entire universe is infused with purpose, with design, and with destiny. And that's where our hope comes from as believers, as Christians. So I want to give you just a couple of action steps to, to put this thing into uh, put this thing into your life. Okay, put these things into action this week. Uh, one is this: you can say yes to Jesus, your Creator. Uh, we believe in a God who didn't just create the universe and walk off and do other things. Uh, no, we believe He stepped into our reality because He wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. So we always want to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. We believe he is your creator and he wants to know you. Uh, you could get baptized today. As we said before, like we are celebrating baptisms today. Um, this is for anybody who's a Christ follower. If you've said yes to Jesus, your next step is get baptized. There's not a, we see in the Bible, there's not a long drawn out process. It's just say yes to Jesus and go public with it. Proclaim it publicly through the act of baptism. So you can have it to lobby right now. And uh, we've got, pe- we got people there that want to get you checked in, help you get baptized today. Uh, three, you could reach out to a mature Christian about a faith question I have been struggling with. Maybe creation isn't your thing. Uh, maybe it's something else about faith that you're just, you're just wrestling with. Don't let those doubts just sit there. All right? I think that's the worst thing you can do. Like, bring those doubts out in the open. Have a conversation about it. Go look for, for some answers, okay? And you might be able to find somebody that can point you in some different directions, give you a different perspective on the question. And lastly, you could do this. You could begin your reconstruction journey. If you've been in that place of just kind of free fall and just tearing everything down, that deconstruction phase, like, that's fine. I think sometimes that's necessary to go through, but you can't do that forever, right? At some point, you have to say, like, how, what can I find that is true? How do I start to rebuild my faith, my worldview? Um, you could take that step today as well. If you guys would stand up, let's, let's pray together, and we'll move forward with, with service. <clears throat> Dear God, we just... We thank you that you are our creator and you've not left us alone in this reality, God. You haven't left us alone in this, in this universe, but you came to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, let's pray for the person here that, that hasn't taken that step to believe in you, God. Uh, I pray that uh, you'd, be, you'd make yourself real. You'd make yourself known to them right now, God, that you are their creator and you're, you're calling to them and you want a relationship with them, God. Guys, thank you so much for this church, and I pray just as we worship and as we celebrate baptism, God, we, we make much of you, and we glorify you in everything that we do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.